Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to episode 202 of Geek Town Radio. I'm back this week with... Gray! Hello! I've got my soundboard working again. <laughs> hey, good to hear myself, my little lead in there. Yes, yes. Uh, so, um seen any good movies this week oh, <laughs> anything no, I anything come, i mean i don't know what we're going to talk I about think, i know there wasn't anything really out was no, there no 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 what was that like little superhero film that... oh i think it's that one that um came on the end of a couple of other films that wrapped before it <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> yes dave i did of course see Endgame. um it's why i'm back so quickly I've, i was only on a few weeks back yes um, obviously i wanted to come back and talk about Endgame. Um, and obviously in my other life as a teacher I had to be on hot alert as many of my students decided that they would go and see the midnight showing wow. and I wasn't seeing it until the Thursday evening I, so. what's really funny is I've seen a couple of people post about teachers that had managed to get out and see it before the students and when they were te- the kids were playing around in class he was slowly writing endgame spoilers on the on the board on the oh, whiteboard <laughs> So every time they messed up or every time they messed around, it was like Thanos <laughs> and <laughs> does. <laughs> yeah, there was Hilarious. a little bit of tension between a couple of ch- children. I was like, if you come in tomorrow and you say anything to me, there will be repercussions. Um, so I was very firm. I had my teacher voice on. But then on Thursday night, I, I went out and um, I obviously did see it. And it was everything I uh, hoped it would be and more was start spoiler free and just sort of say the 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 storytelling the piecing together the idea behind the narrative to give that true honor to everything that came before um and all the work feige and his team had put into those movies since 2008 was exactly what we wanted and the cinema i was in and i know many cinemas across the country the people i've been speaking to were just honoring it so much and i Mm. am in fully respect social media over the weekend i respect sort of like the ethos that was out there where people were keeping it for and honoring like keep it to yourself let people experience the end game and if you were lucky enough to get into a cinema before anyone had spoiled it then i hope you appreciate how beautiful the movie was um and how right it was to summarize the story i thought it was brilliant and so there's my spoiler free (laughs) review 
of that weekend and the situation. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I mean, social media has actually been done really well managing to keep a lid on it. There have been a few idiots out there that have been spoiling stuff, but generally I, I haven't seen anything that's been overly kind of, you know, even the, the media outlets have been very, very careful about it. Uh, speaking of which, we are going to go into spoilers on it now. What I will do is I will come back from the future and uh, tell you how long the uh, spoiler bit is. So I will slot that in here. <laughs> Jump forward 14 minutes, 47 seconds. That's 14 minutes, 47 seconds. So thank you, Future Dave, for that. And we're going to go in and talk about spoilers. What I'll also do is I'll put some music underneath the spoiler bit. So if you happen to jump forward and you've not jumped forward far enough and you can still hear music underneath, jump forward a bit more. So we are going into spoilers. This is a spoiler alert. Spoilers. 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 What spoilers? Spoilers for Endgame. You have been warned. <laughs> so, yes, over Easter, um, me and a few friends decided to do some binge watching of the MCU world. Yes. So on uh, one day, uh, we did five films. We did um, the original Avengers. We did Guardians of the Galaxy. We did uh, Civil War. We did Winter Soldier and we did Age of Ultron. Um, yes. And then with another set of friends, I did Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and obviously we've seen Infinity War before. And we resolved that those were some of the best films to have watched. It's almost like we'd planned it because mm. the, the drop-in of the narratives from across those really yeah. worked for what you saw in Endgame. Yeah. Um, even choosing the right Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 to watch, to understand yeah. like the, the Power Stone and things like that. And, to, and you know, that, again, really well done. So we were pleased with ourselves. And I think that's really important for the, the real hardcore MCU fans to have that bit of time before to appreciate some of the films and revisit them. Even though some people say they're hardcore, going back and revisiting and remembering was really quite important, especially as you were getting into some of the, the time jumps and thinking, right, okay i remember that and you were then trying to work out was that extra or was that some actual footage and i just think the the russos did so well there because yeah. it was almost flawless that that could have been extracted straight out of the previous movies yeah um, i thought time would take a big part of it and up until that point i was still confident it would be something to do with time and something to do with the quantum realm yes. so when that came out sort of yeah a little cheer to myself in the cinema like yes i think but you know i thought there's 90 percent of people out there were convinced ant-man was so key um, yes. that what Doctor Strange had said would obviously link back to time and, and sort of that. So that's, I was very proud of the narrative going in that way. And if you'd spent that time watching the films before, that was really quite important. What was quite interesting was that opening, killing that version of Thanos really quite early. And like, oh, oh that that's interesting. And then suddenly there's this five-year time jump and you're like, oh, that I wasn't expecting. I thought that was really brilliant, really well done. And then you get to see uh, Tony with a family and that that sort of sets up the whole thing of we can't go back and erase that five years. You know, yeah. you can't... Because I did wonder whether they do a lot of messing around. Uh, I'm glad they didn't do that because it almost turns everything prior to that movie then into this didn't happen. Yeah. 
yeah. and you sort of don't want that. So no, the, it was the, very clever yeah. uh, use of the narrative. And I, I mean, we'll talk about it later. But there's there's one thing that some people are saying that was a, an error, they think. But other were that they stuck. They were quite honourable to the theory of time and yes. the, sort of the parallel springs of time. And hurrah for Tilda Swinton turning up and that little yeah. demonstration for little me, who's not really into sci-fi that much, to do that demonstration of the time was quite helped me and that helped piece together the narrative and then banner going you know and putting the stone back in and it bringing back the the time and so that's that i appreciate that yeah i I like the fact that they referenced back to the future is like wait you're telling me back to the future is rubbish you know (laughs) yeah the sort of the little things like that i thought were were quite clever in that they're they're very much pointing out the fact that this isn't how they did it in back to the future if you go into the past it doesn't mess up your future timeline uh you're creating alternative timelines and the point you go back to is your main timeline so there is a slight problem with the cap stuff right at the very end that's exactly what i was about to say yeah um i didn't immediately think of it but my friend who came out with me sort of said okay there's a problem with that yeah Uh, and i was like okay is that a big error on the storytelling side of things not necessarily i mean the argument is basically if cap had gone back in time and lived out his life with peggy he wouldn't have been there as an old man at the end that doesn't really make that much sense because he's not in that timeline anymore no. he basically leaves that timeline and w- was in another timeline as an old man the only possibility uh, the way round it is that he gets to a point in his life where he then comes back to the main timeline and uses the device to travel back through time as an old man but you didn't see any kind of reference to that at all so it's possible that that's what they did but it doesn't quite make any sense the other thing somebody pointed out is of course cat went back with the what is it five or six stones yeah. And they weren't all in stone form when they took them, which is another slight problem. In that, to go and put, like, the ether back, you've essentially got to turn it back into liquid and re-inject it into Natalie Portman. So, <laughs> so, so that is, must, I want to see that movie. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> I mean, there is a whole film to be had of Captain America trying to go back and put all the stones back in the right place. Because you've also got to put, like, the, uh, the power stone back in the kind of thing which they smashed it out of to put it back in exactly the right position and you've got to wake up Chris Pratt to get him to kind of be not killed the moment the bad guys turn up in that sequence so there are issues with that it's fair to say but it was a lovely way of of rounding everything off but there are issues with it I can only imagine the Russo's had many ways of characters dying but obviously they decided not to go down the route of killing off Cap but they needed to find a new suitable way to say this is his end in the narrative he won't be in phase four and this is why yeah Um, because I don't know about you, Dave, but I think the first death was a shock to me. Black Widow. Black Widow, yeah. So I knew by the moment you saw those two going to Vormir, I was like, oh, hang on a minute. One of them's not coming back, yeah. yeah. I know how the stone is retrieved from Vormir, but up until that point, I almost felt like it was her movie. Yeah. It was Scarlet's movie, just like Thanos had Infinity War. The first half of this film was her movie, wasn't yeah. it? Which, it was- which does bring up the other point in that there is 
supposed to be a Black Widow film coming. So I think it's got to be prequel. It's got to be her time. Yeah, as a spy. I suspect that's probably a prequel film, which would make sense because I don't think they're going to be bringing her back. And I mean, they have essentially got a bit of a multiverse to play around with because they've kind of established that there are alternate timelines out there. So that would be the other way of doing it. Mm. But I, I suspect it's probably a prequel film in the same way that most of Captain Marvel was. So I I think that is probably what they're going to end up doing with it. But yeah. we'll have to wait and see. Um, there were lots of lovely little moments in the cinema, a little rounds of applause. And I haven't been in a film where that sort of happened in the middle of the mm. film. I've been in films where it's happened at the end. But there were just some absolutely lovely, like appreciations of characters appearing. Um, so quite early on, the first round of applause we got was for Korg and Meek. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, they're an appreciated characters and like them appearing, the sudden realization that they did survive and get off the ship that yeah. um, Thanos destroyed. So they had a little round of applause. Um, but then every, there were some brilliant moments as, as the movie went along where people just completely appreciated what they were doing and the characters that reappeared were just fantastically done. Did you get emotional, Dave? No, I didn't. I apparently have a heart of stone because I didn't <laughs> cry at all. I know Matt Matt went and saw it. We, we did, uh, uh, I did a podcast with Matt sort of of the first thoughts literally the afternoon after we both came back on the Thursday because we both saw it Thursday we did a podcast after that and he said he cried at a few places but I yeah no I did I didn't but I loved it from start to finish I thought it was it was absolutely phenomenal and uh, I mean you know it was great to see how Tony went out and have Pepper come back and see Cap pass on the shield so yeah. we have we still technically have a Captain America it's just going to be Falcon from now on and it's um, not going to be the Winter Soldier everyone thought it would be Bucky well yeah it was it had to be one or the other because those are the two guys that have been doing it in the comic book so it was yeah. always going to be one or the other but uh, yeah I think a lot of people expected it to be Winter Soldier but I'm, I'm happy Falcon got it Falcon in the MCU I think Falcon makes more sense as being the person to pass it on to he's been sort of the closest ally of Cap. Bucky is is great as a character, but you know, he's been on both sides of things and I think Falcon make you know, he's more of a company man. You know, he makes yeah. more sense as the person that you're gonna kind of pass everything off to so yeah. Uh, so yeah I mean I'm glad to see that I'm a bit dead inside as well Dave like you but I had a few <laughs> moments where there was a little lump in my throat and I thought that was and, and they were quite unexpected well one was expected when I was, the first time was when the first orange circle opened and Black Panther walked through yeah. that was the first moment I got a little lump in my throat and the second moment was when Spider-Man or Tom Holland went over to Tony Stark yeah. and that those two moments really got me, but I could understand why there are so many moments across the, the, the especially the second half of the film that really got people. And it was quite nice again to have that complete richness of emotion, of comedy, of action, of intelligence as well. There was not, a, it wasn't simple plot. It was really, in, you know, have that intelligence, have that complexity. Yes, the movie is smashing all records, but also appreciate the storytelling mm. that a team so talented can interweave all these genres and yeah. that 
and and that we appreciate them and in the darkest and darkest of plots if you think about where we came into the yeah. humor that is carried through and done in a really sensitive way i mean a lot of it's done through rocket obviously yeah. but and thor of course yeah rocket and thor and i just absolutely loved it so um i unadoubtedly give it about 10 stars or five stars or whatever the maximum is yeah Um, i'm beautiful you know we've read the press now over the weekend it's smashed every record that's going with regards to open screens taking money yeah the The china the asia europe it's yeah and too right it's the good payoff for what was what was meant to be there are obviously a lots of questions going to be asked i got asked um, this morning only do you think that thor now joins the guardians of the galaxy and i well, was like for the next movie it looks very much like he is going to be in yeah. the next guardians movie which is he's fine i i mean that was always fun when we saw it in the last avengers film i yeah. i like that that dynamic i think it's good so i think it's lovely to have thor in there and uh, particularly this version of thor who's kind yeah. of overweight thor and and uh, i that's that's great yeah. uh, I mean I, I also think that we've got a while to wait till Guardians 3 but it's going to be very much like the, the search for Gamora um, yeah, he does look that way yes. yeah and so that's what I thought that would be really honour and then I even just speculated today so think of the timeline um, if the that was five years we are technically in 2023 and I don't think Guardians is going to be ready till at least 2022 once James Gunn has finished Suicide Squad that's gone out yeah. then starts the pre-production so we could almost get Guardians of the Galaxy in the right timeline if we yeah. wait long enough. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true, actually. Well, obviously, it now leads directly into Spider-Man. It does make sense. He's gone back and he's found his friend. So we do now believe yes. Spider-Man with Happy as the new that, Guardian. That is, that is one of the slight issue as well, because this is the one thing with, with it being still five years in the future. That means all of his friends must have been snapped away at the same time as him, yeah. because they're all still in high school and if they weren't all dusted at the same time as spider-man or as peter barker that doesn't make any sense either because they'd all be five years older that's true so man's daughter's older isn't she yeah so there is that that is that is one slight issue of it just so happens that all of spidey's friends happen to be snapped away as well so uh fine you know but you've suddenly got this new this bunch of kids that have basically missed five years of school are suddenly back in school again that's a little weird but we're gonna have to see how they deal with that plot yeah i mean i i think it's probably okay and hopefully they'll reference it some they may reference it they may not because this is a problem of course with it being a sony marvel film rather than a marvel film whether they will reference that i don't know but yeah that that was the one other thing as well and it's always a problem when you're dealing with time travel stuff there are always going to be these issues but yeah, exactly. I, I think I, I think to create a, a rounded film, they did an incredible job with it. And yes, there are a couple of little minor things, but I roll with it perfectly happily. Yeah, so. same here, same here. Uh, so the final thing to say is like, good on them on keeping the the full cast list as quiet as they did. I mean, yeah, we do go. Some people appear, but don't say anything. Marissa Tomei, Michelle Pfeiffer, Kobe Schmolders, um, Samuel yeah. Jackson all appear, don't say a single word. But the full rounded cast that you have in those Mm. final scenes is just something that you can epically say well done Marvel Cinematic Universe you have paved the way for 
everyone to aspire to. And I think for me, Dave, that's the last of my spoilerific <laughs> discussions on Avengers Endgame. Yeah, it was absolutely phenomenal, particularly that whole sequence of, of the portals and uh, just incredible. We've finished with spoilers. If you've not seen it yet, go out and see it. It's it's an incredible, incredible film. Uh, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. So, yes. So that's Endgame. Yeah. Anything <laughs> anything else you'd be doing um, this week? Well, obviously I had Easter break and that should have been a time where I caught up with lots of things, but I really didn't. I um, was just absolutely swamped with things. Um, so I only got a chance to finish. I have th- three episodes of Big Little Lies um, waiting to finish. Still going to get to watch that, yes. Yeah. So the new series is coming back in June, I believe. So I yeah. thought I finished that. Absolutely loved it. I wish I'd watched it now when it was on. Finally got into Future Man series one. Um, I know you discussed that with me previously, but I'd never seen it. But I'm now two episodes away from finishing series one. And I've got series two lined up. Yes. Um, I also, on a time travel thing, I think I was really getting my fill of it. I got up to date with Timeless in time for these final two episodes. Oh, so, yes. Yeah, I'm waiting for the second one to come on to my TV. And then we're going to yeah. watch it like a movie. Like like that's the probably theme. the best thing to do yeah. i'm kind of annoyed that e4 didn't just stick them out back to back it seems a bit ridiculous to yeah. split them over two weeks but that's what they've done so uh, so let's think about current programs i watched line of duty episode five last night and oh my goodness i see it, I, I i can't help you with this because i've not watched a single episode oh, of line of duty and i know it's on iplayer and i know i think it's on netflix as netflix well Netflix so, as well yeah so i, I mean, will go back and watch it it's one of those things that is by summer kind of catching up thing that i need to do it's absolutely brilliant i mean i'm not going to give anyway any spoilers but the the way they bring like twists and turns into the narrative is absolutely fantastic i'm hooked we're five seasons in and i think it's one of the best dramas i think it's better than bodyguards that the bbc are putting out there and last night i just want to give credit anna maxwell martin a fantastic actress she's come in episode five so she hasn't been in the series up until now she was just brilliant and i think i I, I sort of like I give my praise to the performance that was given in this particular scene. So for people who haven't seen it, try and catch up, try and watch it. But people who have seen it, I hope you agree with me. Anna Maxwell Martin um, was absolutely a brilliant performance yesterday. And a little gem I found on BBC iPlayer. So it's this BBC Three give up one night a week to show some of their best programs on BBC One. Yes. And so I, this appeared in my feed. It's a program called Back to Life. And it's uh, it's stars and was written by Daisy Haggard. And people might know Daisy Haggard from episodes. Yes. Um, previous to that, she was in Uncle. And she plays this girl who's been away in prison for 18 years and is trying to sort of adapt herself into life and it's a very dark comedy but also a very very strong performances the narrative again has the dark comedy but also very serious undertones of someone trying to adapt to their life back after this obviously situation she's been through but we also don't know what she did and it's coming out slowly i just watched episode three this morning and i'm starting to learn more about why she was in prison but it's it was in the flea bag slot so people are talking about it as like the, right, yeah. the, the bit that's picking up where Fleabag isn't anymore. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really good. If, if anyone likes those sort of 25 minute dark, not obvious punchline comedies and wants to see it, it, it is very, very cleverly put together. And I've always, I always liked Daisy Haggard from when I first watched yeah. her in, in um, Uncle. I just yeah. think she's a really, um, really, really good performer. Do you know, I mean, you know, having listened to the show, how much we'd 
love uncle and you yeah. know we know the writers and uh yeah so i she's amazing and yeah. uh that that's one i might go and check out actually because i think she's brilliant so yeah she's she's really good um and that's pretty much my very limited um i mean i could talk about the eight or 13 films i watched over east yeah. <laughs> but, you know i've already talked about them obviously yes. so um that, that's me so dave what about you apart from uh, endgame well apart from apart from obviously endgame uh i did watch another movie another superhero movie i finally got around to watching aquaman um uh-huh. i wonderfully fun i mean considering it's a dc film and how dreary some of the dc movies have been up to now i thought it was great it's got lots of action jason momoa is incredibly watchable in it and uh it's silly wonderful stupid superhero fun and uh yeah. you know i mean it's it's obviously not up there with some of the Avengers movies, particularly Endgame, but it is a a great, fun, silly film. And, uh, you know, it's got almost bits of Indiana Jones in there. There's like a little segment where they're going to find a thing and and it sort of goes very indie. And then you've got some great underwater stuff. I think they do an amazing job with that. Um, And and it's well-crafted, nicely put together. uh, Some quite spectacular battle sequences in it, which I thought were really good. Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, if you looking for a fun entertainment kind of take your brain out and don't think too much superhero film perfectly watchable perfectly entertaining so yes i really enjoyed that uh on on entirely opposite end of the scale finally got around to watching the case against anan saeed case against anan saeed is a hbo documentary series in four parts and if you are familiar with the serial podcast Mm -hmm. he was the subject of the first serial podcast which got downloaded umpty million times it's basically a sort of tv version of that but with some added extra stuff they're following through the trials and appeals and and all that sort of thing and laying out stuff which they found pretty much since serial was on air so it makes quite a good companion piece if you've listened to serial you will know some of it but there is a lot of stuff that they've been dug up since then that was fascinating I, yeah, um, yeah i was i was a huge fan of serial and then i went and listened to a podcast called undisclosed so his aunt Rabia Chowdhury which you see in episode one also had this uh, podcast series called Undisclosed and the first two seasons were about Adnan Saeed and I was a a huge fan of the entire story Um, and so I I tuned in and watched episode one a couple of weeks ago but then I was waiting for them all and again I might just do a binge watch now they've all come down onto my sky Um, but it it is a fascinating case and I think it's uh, something that I believe in more than how to make a murderer I know that there's some similarities between them both but yeah. the evidence and the way the case has been presented in the the Adnan Saeed case I'm absolutely convinced of that narrative in terms yeah. of like you know I am so uh, such a follower and I, I I follow Rabia Chowdhury on social networks as well because I'm, I'm continuously looking for the update and I think it's a fascinating case and you know it's a well well put together documentary that sort of yeah. added to the the entire narrative behind it so. yeah yeah no it is it is fascinating and really well put together i mean it's difficult because they are basically following one side of the argument and they're following the defense more than the prosecution but it doesn't feel as biased as maybe making a murderer does um no. there is a lot of factual stuff in there and you do look at it and go how how, how have they got to this point this doesn't make any sense so uh it, yeah i would strongly recommend particularly if you're a fan of serial go and watch that it's brilliant 
And the other thing, of course, was uh, Game of Thrones, which I know uh, we're recording this on Monday afternoon and I, it won't have gone out for the evening showing yet. And we're not going to talk in spoilers about Game of Thrones last night. All I will say is I stayed up and watched it live because I could. And it's utterly spectacular. Uh, I, I do wonder if they're going to end up cancelling the Emmys this year or just handing out second place awards. Because after last night's episode, Game of Thrones really should be winning everything it was a spectacular spectacular piece of tv and i know you're not a game of thrones fan or you've not been watching it but honestly some of the stuff uh i mean this is up there with one of the best episodes they've ever made and it is one of the best episodes of tv ever made so can't recommend it highly enough just quite quite phenomenal um it was a major battle scene and they've got another one coming on towards the end of this run as well so there've been two big battle scenes this season that's not really giving any spoilers away because everybody knew this was a battle scene this week mm. I, i'm not going to say anything about you know who survives characters and all that sort of stuff if you want to follow my thoughts on game of thrones go and listen to the reviewing westeros podcast which we do with uh, entertainment talk which is entertainmenttalk.org i do that with uh, matt who co-hosts on here every so often that'll be out on wednesday so uh, go and pick up that we've been doing that since game of thrones came back it's on uh, entertainmenttalk.org it's called reviewing westeros but you can hear us talk with spoilers and uh, give us thoughts about the whole show over there <laughs> so that's all the stuff we've been doing this week let's move on to some tv and film news <laughs> So we start off the TV and film news as ever with renewals, cancellations and pickups. Uh, but big cancellation, which really upset quite a lot of people. Netflix have cancelled the Santa Clarita diet after three seasons, which seems to be a bit of a trend for Netflix at the moment. They seem to be cancelling shows after three seasons. They've done it to a number of things recently. And this is sort of the latest one to get stuck with that. Uh, unless it's a, a major, major breakout hit like Orange is the New Black or something like that or you know or it was pre-ordered with multiple seasons over three seasons like The Crown which was pre-ordered for six seasons mm. they seem to be dropping the hammer after three seasons unless it's a big awards winner like uh, Kimmy Schmidt I think was a, was quite a big awards winner and Santa Clarita Diet got a lot of fans seems to be a very well-liked show but isn't kind of hitting the award categories as much i mean i don't know whether it's the numbers are down on it or, or what the problem is but uh yeah they've decided that after three seasons they're not bringing that back again which is a real shame because it was it was kind of different this is the thing about uh drew barrymore becomes a sort of zombie but she's not a sort of mindless wandering around zombie she's still getting on with life she just happens to eat hearts and he's kind of with her husband trying to cover it up basically mm. and she's just a suburban housewife so uh, it was a really kind of nice, interesting, different comedy. And uh, it's a shame to see that go, but uh, they've decided that they're not going to renew it after its third season, which has recently gone out. Yeah. Over on the CW, they've uh, actually renewed a record 14 seasons this year because they've, renew they've renewed a bunch of other things. They've renewed things like all the DC CW shows and all that sort of stuff. They've now renewed the 100 for season seven. They've renewed uh, All American, which is their American football drama, which I 
Alien thing was going to get picked up again, but they've decided to give that another shot. Uh, In the Dark, which is a new thing, which has only just started over there in Roswell, New Mexico, which is the the kind of new revamped version of Roswell. They've both got second seasons, or they've all got second seasons. So, um, yeah, 14 seasons Uh, they picked up. I'm kind of thinking what CW are are sort of getting their um, reputation as the renewal station. Yes. But what they do is, is they renew and then maybe a few weeks or a few months later they they determine with the writers that it's the final season so that's what they did with arrow wasn't it yeah yeah so they originally renewed it and i remember us talking about they renewed everything and then a couple of months down the line they did a more official sort of saying the arrow have decided you know this is their final season so i think they are very much a, a, um, a station that are looking for the natural end to a story rather than yeah. them being they let really give the creators control so i wouldn't be surprised in that list obviously we've got some really good ones and the hundreds still on season seven i would be surprised yeah. if one of them we get an alert in in a couple of months time going the writers have decided to end it with that season yeah i, I mean I that, that- wouldn't surprise me in the no. slightest with the, the i mean the the others the others are are getting second seasons so they're probably going to be around for a bit longer but it is very very rare that the cw do actually cancel anything yeah exactly. um, they have got a lot of shows finishing this year like jane the virgin was one of theirs so that's ending arrows ending uh i zombies one of theirs that's ending uh supernatural will be ending so you know they have got a number of shows coming to to a conclusion but mm. i don't think they actually cancelled they certainly didn't cancel any freshman shows this year no they picked up all their new new shows and because they've got a number of things coming to an end they have now still got space to be able to put new things on plus uh, one of the big changes they made last year was they went to seven nights a week which apparently they hadn't been doing they didn't put any original programming on sunday it was all repeats i think or they didn't air at all on sunday which is uh, okay weird uh but but they're now using sundays as original programming so uh that was something they didn't do before so they've got a little bit more space than they had done in maybe previous years so it's Mm. not greatly surprising that they've they've renewed a record kind of 14 seasons but uh it's great news i i love the the cw for that the fact that they do let things come to a natural conclusion which is wonderful so hopefully you know it's it's always a good sign i mean if i was if i was writing a show for us network the cw is the one that I want it on yeah, because you, you know it's got, it to them, yeah. you've got the best chance possible of it staying staying there. The worst chance possible will be off if it's on NBC because they don't give anything a chance. But uh, CW, that's that's the network you want to be on if you want your show to survive. Um, <laughs> over on CW sister station CBS, they've renewed the Good Fight for season four, so that's good news. Mm. And they've also renewed NCIS Los Angeles and NCIS New Orleans, which join the main NCIS in renewal this year. So uh, they're, all the NCISs are back if you were a fan of that set of shows, which is great. There's also talk of them possibly doing a JAG spin-off, which is JAG was the show which spawned NCIS in the first place. And now NCIS Los Angeles is having a couple of the people from JAG guest starring in the finale of this season. And there's talk that that may create a new JAG reboot. So it's it's this kind of, you know, the, the snake eating itself at the moment because you've got kind of, you know, JAG spawns NCIS, spawns NCIS LA, which possibly spawns JAG. So uh, Yeah, another one. <laughs> yeah, that may may or may not happen, but there is. We'll have to see how well the finale goes down. But uh, yes, there is 
it's a possibility that you might get jagged back on air as well. In terms of pickups and advanced air dates, Sky One have picked up the Cinemax martial arts drama Warrior. That's going to air in June. This apparently is based on early writings of Bruce Lee. It was a, an idea that Bruce Lee had and they kind of have, have formed it into this TV show. It was apparently something which he had pitched to a few networks and he always argued that they turned it into Kung Fu, the um, David Carradine show. And he always argued that that was a ripoff of the idea that he pitched. This seems very different to that, in actual fact. But th- this seems almost like a sort of martial arts drama mixed with Peaky Blinders, as far as I could tell, <laughs> which is a really interesting idea. I mean, set in America, but it's that sort of time period in America, which... Uh, looks really interesting so uh, it's going to air on sky one which is, is odd because it feels a more like a sky atlantic show but it's coming to sky one in june that so if you're a fan of martial arts that could be one to watch i don't know much more about it than that and designated survivor season three that now has a premiere date also coming in june 7th of june for that on netflix and around the world uh only 10 episodes because it's now a netflix show not which was a fox show before wasn't it so uh only 10 episodes because it's now a netflix show but they will all drop at once and uh, i'm very happy to have that to keep a sutherland as president which i really enjoyed the first show of that so so that's great i'm glad to have that back 7th of June for that. Moving on to bigger news, uh, HBO have commissioned a new Armando Iannucci series, which I think we've probably talked a little bit about before, called Avenue 5, which sees him step away from the political drama, which is all political comedy that he's been known for up until now. And uh, this is a new comedy uh, set in space and it's space tourism it's about. So it's created, written and exact produced by Iannucci, set 40 years in the future, stars Hugh Laurie as Ryan Clark, the charming and in-control American captain of the Avenue 5, a space tourism vessel. He's joined by second engineer Billy McAvoy, who is played by Being Human's Lena Critchlow, and Zach Woods, who you'll know is Jared from Silicon Valley, who plays Matt Spencer, the head of customer relations. On the ship, there are, of course, passengers. One of those is Rebecca Front, who has worked with Inichi before on the thick of it, and she was in Humans. Plays Karen Kelly, who is illicitly aboard the Avenue 5 and using her sister's non-transferable ticket and Spike Martin played by Ethan Phillips who you will know is Neelix from Star Trek Voyager playing an elderly space enthusiast former astronaut and a grizzled womanizer and heavy drinker it's also got Joss Gad who you will probably know his voice was being in Frozen and he's playing Clark's boss Herman Judd who's the billionaire behind the Judd Empire which includes hotels fitness clubs and space tourism now and owner of the Avenue 5 Judd's right-hand woman in Iris Kimu, who is played by Susie Nakamura, who has been in Dr. Ken and the Goldbergs and Blackish. And uh, Nikki Amuka Bird, who was in Hardson and Luther, stars as Rav Mulclair, who is head of Judd's mission control on Earth. Such a good cast. Yeah, it's a really solid cast. I mean, it's no great shot, because Armando Inuchi is one of those guys that if he brings you up and asks you to be in something, you say yes. Yeah, so, yeah. You know. I'm still waiting for the call. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> he hasn't called me yet. No, I know. Um, but I see when when they sort of talked about the passengers and the fact that it is basically a space hotel. I did wonder if you're kind of heading towards an almost faulty towers in space kind of idea, which is is sort of what it it could possibly be. I don't know if that's the case or not, but that's sort of the thing that stuck in my mind is the idea of you've got these kind of interesting collection of passengers 
Christmas. You've got this really amazing cast. You've got this person who is, I mean, as I say, charming and in control captain of the Avenue Five. I think the in control is probably in air quotes, which is the Hugh Laurie character. And I don't know, I sort of feel this maybe kind of aping that sort of hotel comedy, but set in space. Well, I, I love Veep. And so I yeah. definitely would be viewing this. I, I know it's sci-fi, Dave, but um, if it's got the political humor side to things, I think I definitely would be into it. So I think this is kind of interesting because you don't get that many straight sci-fi comedy stuff, which uh, and and it's going to be interesting to see Anucci do something which isn't straight politically based either. I mean, I'm sure politics will creep in there to a certain extent somewhere. But, you know, he's I mean, he's been involved with things like uh, Alan Partridge as well. So, I mean, he has done non-political stuff, but he's mainly known for Veep, the thick of it. Uh, he was involved in the day-to-day Death of Stalin, which was the film that he did more recently. So um, it's the same team behind it. It's um, Inucci, Kevin Loder, Simon Blackwell, Tony Roach, Will Smith, not that Will Smith, another Will Smith. Uh, it's got his standard team behind it who really know what they're doing. I, I think this should be brilliant. It is a HBO show. They haven't given a premiere date yet. Hopefully, will probably be later this year, early next year. It should come onto Sky Atlantic if it's a HBO show because of the carriage deal they have with HBO. But we're, we're waiting to, to hear a bit more about it. But that is called Avenue 5. It's going to be one to watch out for, I think. Sticking with HBO, they've got another sci-fi drama in the offing. This one coming from Joss Whedon, who is finally returning to doing TV drama of his own making. He did have some involvement with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D but that's sort of more his brother and sister-in-law show than it was really him. He sort of helped them out and getting out the door and obviously had an attachment to Marvel through Avengers and that sort of stuff. But it's not really had that much day-to-day involvement with it. The new show that he's making it for HBO, it's called The Nevers. They've announced the lead actress in it is going to be Laura Donnelly, who you might know from Outlander, played Jenny Fraser Murray in Outlander. Uh, she's also appeared in Britannia and uh, popped up in episodes of The Fall, Missing Casualty. She was in Merlin as well. So um, great, great actress. The Nevers is a sci-fi drama, but it's an historical sci-fi as well. So Laura Donnelly's really in her element, having come from Outlander. It's about a gang of Victorian women who find themselves with unusual abilities, relentless enemies, and a mission to change the world. Donnelly plays Amelia True, who's the most reckless, impulsive, and emotionally damaged hero of her time. A menace to the stuffy Victorian society, she would die for a cause and kill for a drink. So it sounds like a really interesting character, very much Whedon's kind of wheelhouse, you know. I mean, he writes brilliant female roles, things like and Firefly and that sort of thing. So I'm very much looking forward to this. I think it could be fabulous. It's also got ex-Buffy writers Jane Epstein and Doug Petrie in it as well, involved in the co-writing of the series. So it's very much a kind of Buffy alumni team up, which I'm really excited about because I adored Buffy. And it's Joss back on TV, making TV shows on his own terms and at HBO where he has a lot more control over it. So I think this could be fabulous. I will I will eagerly await your review of it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even tempt you. That's terrible. <laughs> HBO gave the Nevers a straight to series order. They haven't yet given a release date, but it, I mean, the earliest it's possibly going to arrive is 
the autumn this year. It could well be into 2020. Um, I mean, it depends how long they take to pull everything together. We'll have to wait and see. Again, it should appear on Sky Atlantic in the UK due to their carriage deal with HBO, but we'll we'll let you know when we hear more about it. And another sci-fi thing, so just up your street. Um, <laughs> this is uh, Nickelodeon have commissioned an animated Star Trek series. Now, this is different to the other animated Star Trek series, which we've previously talked about, which was called Lower Decks. That sounds like a brilliant premise because Lower Decks comes from some of the guys behind Rick and Morty and uh, it's it's based on one of the lowest serving ships in the Federation's ranks in kind of, you know, and it's kind of the cleanup guys, basically. That's the sort of mm. premise of Lower Decks. This is going to be slightly different. This is going to be a an original CGI animated Star Trek series. It's aimed at a younger audience, which is why it's going out on Nickelodeon and not CBS All Access, where all the other Star Trek stuff is. Follows a group of lawless teens who discover a derelict Starfleet ship and use it to search for adventure, meaning and salvation. So uh, kind of a different thing for Star Trek to be diving into. It's been developed by Emmy Award winners Kevin and Dan Hageman, who are some of the people behind the Lego movie and Troll Hunters. It's overseen by Ramsey Nito, who is the uh, animation production development executive vice president at Nickelodeon. We knew that they were going to push a lot new Star Trek content out. I mean, obviously we've got Discovery. That's coming back for a third season. They did those uh, Star Trek short treks, which were little sort of 10-minute Star Trek episodes. We've got the Patrick Stewart series, where he comes back as John Luke Picard, Lower Decks. There is a, a new project that is based around Section 31, which is in development with Michelle Yeoh attached to Star, reprising her Star Trek Discovery character. So uh, there's lots and lots of Star Trek things out there, and they've, I think, got more things on the cards as well. So uh, I, I don't know. I, this is this is quite good because it's a way of getting Star Trek into the, you know, the kids into Star Trek and sort of funneling an audience through. I guess that's the plan for it. But yeah. uh, whether it's something I'll, I'll watch, I don't know, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. And we don't know where it's, you know, if and where it's going to go out over here, whether it will end up on Netflix, who have got all the other Star Trek stuff, or whether Nickelodeon will take it over here as well, because we do have a Nickelodeon channel over here. So we'll have to wait and see. But um, yes, interesting. If you're a Star Trek fan, it would be one to watch out for, I think. <laughs> so that's all the news we have for this week. Next, we have the interview. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The interview this week is with Ryan Shaw, who is the composer on uh, Star Wars Galaxy of Adventures, Star Wars Forces of Destiny. He's a two-time Emmy Award and Grammy Award nominated composer, songwriter, musical director, conductor for film, television, virtual reality, games, records, concerts, events, theatres. Basically, if it's got music in it, he's had something to do with it at some point. The other thing he's been doing recently is a VR film called Cave, which is premiering or is probably premiered by now at Tribeca Film Festival, which is 
going on at the moment, which is really quite interesting because although it is a VR film, it's a shared immersive experience where the entire audience is wearing VR headsets and can sort of see each other within the film. So that's an intriguing idea. And we talk a little bit about that as well. We also talk a little bit about the fact that he was assistant music director on the 87th Academy Awards. I think he did the 88th as well. That's got to be a horrendous nerve wracking experience. Lots and lots of things to talk about with Ryan. Here he is. Here's Ryan Shaw. We will see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on TV. It's really nice to have you on and come and chat through some of your work. Should we start off with a little bit of background? How sure. did you get into composing in the first place? Well, I first got into music when I was 11 years old. Right. And I started with the saxophone and I later added the clarinet and flute and piano. And the beginning of my musicianship was all in playing, just being an instrumentalist. And, yeah. I, and I love it. Um, playing in a lot of bands, a lot of different styles of music. Um, a lot of jazz, big band combos, classical music, Latin, R&B, you know, a bunch of everything that, that you would play with a saxophone. Yeah. And it was sometime around um, when I got into college, I went to Berkeley College of Music and I had to pick a major. So I, I picked film scoring. And, it, and the reason I, I really got into it was because there were just so many sounds that I wanted to explore musically, you know, different styles, different genres. And there were all these different styles that a saxophone wouldn't necessarily be in it. Yes, of course. And so that's really why I got into composing was it was a way to explore all these other types of sounds, you know, like, you know, more classical or bluegrass or gospel or, you know, all the, you know, yeah. choir, rock band, all these types of things that maybe saxophone wouldn't be there. So that's really when I, I got into it. And um, I majored in that in college. And then when I graduated, I moved to New York City and lived there for about eight years. And I moved to New York because I have an uncle, Howard Shore, who is also a composer. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's what brought me to New York. And I started working for Howard for about four years. And then after I was in New York for about eight, then I moved out to L.A. to continue scoring film and TV and video games and virtual reality. And, and I've been out here for about 15 years. Ah, cool. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't made the connection that Howard Shaw might be a connection to you, but yes, <laughs> a very famous composer. Yeah. yeah. What type of saxophone did you play? I only ask because my brother used to play saxophone, had a baritone, and it used to uh, shake the walls of the house when he used to play it. <laughs> I bet it did. I love that. Um, so I started out on alto sax right. and later picked up a tenor sax, soprano sax, and the baritone sax, like you're mentioning. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, amazing if a very, very loud instrument. <laughs> it can be, and it takes a lot of air. Yeah. And uh, I love playing the baritone, um, particularly in horn sections, you know, where you can play at the bottom of the section. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So the couple of projects, really, that we're probably going to talk about more than anything else. Um, the, but we'll start off with the Star Wars-related things. So uh, this is Star Wars Galaxy Adventures, Star Wars Ad Galaxy Adventures Fun Facts, and Star Wars Forces of Destiny. These are all up on YouTube. They're kind of animated shorts. But do you want to just explain a bit about those for people that might not have seen them? Sure. So the first series that I scored for Lucasfilm is Star Wars Forces of Destiny. Yeah. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, much of this material is up online and they're, they're constantly adding more. Mm -hmm. um, Forces of Destiny, well, I would say that probably all three series in some ways share a common focus, which is introducing newer audiences, younger audiences to the Star Wars universe. Yeah. And so these 
All three of these series are in short formats. I think most episodes of Forces of Destiny, those were a little bit longer. And then Galaxy of Adventures, they're about a minute or so, and Fun Facts are about a minute or so. But they all serve sort of a a common purpose, which is to introduce these newer audiences to Star Wars. The musical approach for each one has been a little different. On Forces of Destiny, I utilized John Williams' themes, and everything in the series I composed originally, except for his themes. You know, I would I would quote his themes. Yeah. But all of the composing was all original. Um, and when I would use his themes, I would do new treatments of his themes, and I would create all of that music as well. Galaxy of Adventures is a little different because the series at times recreates, in a way, some iconic scenes from the films. Yeah. And so in that series, we are often utilizing original recordings of John Williams from the original films as best as we can. Right. And then the scenes aren't necessarily recreated like shot for shot. So sometimes the you know the original score may not fit the scene in exactly the same way because the timings have changed. Right. And so with those, I try and do some very creative, creative editing with John Williams music. And then I fill in before it and after it and during it and sometimes, you know, bridging things together uh, with original music so that hopefully it sounds like one continuous score and, and it's not detectable as to where John Williams begins and ends and where my original score begins and ends. Interesting. Yeah, because I've obviously been on and, and watched a few of these and I would never have guessed that that was not all original score, but obviously I knew you'd done work on it, so I knew some of it had to be. But yes, you wouldn't, you really wouldn't know. So. Um, then fun facts is slightly different as well. This is sort of little, well, fun facts about various things like the rebels or the emperor or that sort of thing, isn't it? So what about the approach for that? That's exactly right. Yeah. So fun facts, um, will focus on various characters, various worlds, various types of technologies where an episode might be like, you know, this is a lightsaber and here's what you can do with a lightsaber or, you know, here's Luke Skywalker and, and here's about his character. So for those, for that entire series, I would say musically, the fun fact series is probably the most different of the three because Force of Destiny and Galaxy of Adventures proper, I guess I would call it, mm. um, is uh, a very orchestral, traditional acoustic approach. Yeah. Um, very much cut from the same type of cloth that John Williams established for the entire Star Wars films. Fun Facts is different because I actually don't use the orchestra at all, and it's completely electronic and very, very contemporary. There's a lot of just non-orchestral sounds, and that's the entire score. And I and I don't quote any of John Williams' themes for that. So I've created new themes for Fun Facts. So Fun Facts sort of sounds the most different of, of the three. Yeah. How did you end up getting involved with Lucasfilm and the Star Wars stuff in the first place? I was introduced to Lucasfilm through my friends at Ghostbot. Ghostbot is an animation studio that created all of the animation for Forces of Destiny. Right. And they're good friends of mine. We worked on other projects prior to working on Star Wars. And when they signed on to to create Forces of Destiny, they reached out to me and they said that they were working on a series, a new project. I think they said a new project 
for Lucasfilm, but they couldn't tell me anything about it. They couldn't say anything. So I didn't know it was Star Wars. Yeah. But they asked if, if I would be interested to be recommended to score it. And I said, of course, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and it's Lucasfilm. <laughs> so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, it's possible this could be Star Wars, but I don't know. And so they were kind enough to set up a meeting where I was able to speak with one of the producers on the series, still not knowing it's Star Wars. And I was able to ask a few questions so that I could sort of put together a reel of my music that hopefully appealed to them. Mm. It's kind of funny um, how, how it came about because the only directive they really gave to me about the kind of music they're looking for was just adventure music. <laughs> <laughs> but as you know, as I know, you know, adventure music could be so many different things. Well, you, know, yeah. you know, Indiana Jones is an adventure. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean is an adventure. Avatar is an adventure. Hmm. But all of these are vastly different worlds and vastly different types of music. And so I asked the producer one question while I was on the phone. And I kind of kicked myself for asking it because I didn't want to pry. But you know, I said, first I said, of course, please don't, you know, I don't want to know anything I'm not supposed to know, but I want to ask one question, which is, do these stories take place on earth? <laughs> <laughs> and, and they said, no, they don't take place on earth. And I said, perfect. <laughs> that, that's all I needed to know because now in my mind, I immediately am I'm thinking, okay, my, maybe it's in space, you know, maybe this is fantasy, maybe this is science fiction, but I know it's not an earth, you know, based yeah. story. Yeah. And of course, speaking with Lucasfilm, I'm immediately thinking maybe this could be related to, to a Star Wars property. So uh, I sort of adjusted my reel and I, I sent it over kind of with the hopes that this might be Star Wars. And after they heard my reel, they um, shortly after that asked me to score the series. And that's how I, I uh, first got involved. And that was Forces of Destiny. And then after I was done with that one, Lucasfilm reached out and asked if I would be interested to score a galaxy of adventures and fun facts. And of course, my answer is yes, immediately. <laughs> it was such a... An, great phone call to receive yeah and so that's how i got involved with lucasfilm wow okay yeah i mean it's one of those things that if it's lucasfilm there's only really two big franchises that they work off which is star wars and indie i guess there's there's not you know most of the stuff is related around that so if it's not earth-based it kind of has to be star wars or something entirely new so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a good percentage or good chance so uh what was your your sort of first reaction when you did discover it was star wars and you you realized you're going to get out to kind of play around with the John Williams sandbox, I guess. Well, my first reaction was, boy, I wish my ceilings were a little taller because I was jumping up and down <laughs> so, <laughs> so much. Um, I was like, why don't I have taller ceilings than eight feet? Um, <laughs> but so yeah, so my first reaction was just over the moon. I, you know, I couldn't believe it. And then my next thought was, boy, this better, you know, I better make sure my work is good. <laughs> you know, yeah. so. Like kind of a one shot deal. So, um, so I just couldn't wait to dive in, you know, when, when they started sending me footage and things to work on, of course it was massively inspiring and just got right to it. How much of, of a mark are you thinking you can make on this? Because there is an established style with the John Williams stuff. That's such a great question. And and that's something I, I've given a lot of thought to over the years. My honest answer is 
And it would be the same really for any project that I'm scoring, which is I really begin first by looking at the story, talking with the filmmakers, talking about what they're looking for musically, what we want the audience to feel, what we want this role of the music to be within the storytelling, if it's going to be used for establishing time and place or characters or a sense of pacing or a sense of size or scale or, you know, all all the, the usual normal sorts of thoughts that would go into crafting a score for anything. And really like the last thing I would, I think about is how can I consciously sort of do something I might do that would gel or hopefully gel with, with all the above. I I usually don't even think about that at all. I, I like to think of myself in a way as a bit of a chameleon that I'm mostly, I'm there to serve the greater picture, the greater, you know, the the greater storytelling among a team. So that being said, I mean, that's my process. You know, that's what I'm thinking about at any given moment, whether it has some kind of touch tone to something else I've done or a way that I write, not to sound cheeky, but I, I kind of feel like maybe that would be for other people to assess. You know, maybe they hear things that are that are sort of common threads. But if there are or if there aren't, it's really not something I'm consciously thinking about. I'm really just thinking about what's the best music to write for this scene at this moment at this time. Yeah, I mean, that that makes perfect sense. And it's going to be interesting moving forward as well, because obviously we're coming up to the final movie of this massive epic saga this year on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's lots of there's lots of other Star Wars projects floating around and it's sounding like this is probably going to be john williams's last one as well so the next big star wars kind of trilogy film movie i think there's going to be a a sort of battle of the composers that have been working on star wars of sort of uh, (laughs) see who can win out and then get the get the next big gig (laughs) <laughs> but, but the problem is you're always going to people are always going to expect I mean not so much a problem but people are always going to expect that John Williams style in there I think as part of it so it's I'm very intrigued to see where musically the uh, the whole of the Star Wars universe kind of moves to post the end of this saga I completely agree I mean John Williams obviously has established the entire musical vocabulary for Star Wars and I'm starting to hear you know like as more Star Wars projects develop some different sounds that are getting peppered in, you know, some little electronics and different things. Um, So I too, I'm really curious to see, you know, how, how it develops. I love the approach that John Williams has created, you know, of the classic orchestral approach. Yeah. Uh, It's so timeless to me. And and I feel like there's a certain kind of, well, I guess timelessness would be, would be the, 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 comes to mind, you know, because the sound of an orchestra has been so well established for so many hundreds of years. It's really, you know, stood the test of time. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see how it develops myself. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting moving forward. Uh, is there a particular piece that you've done for um, I, either Galaxy Adventures or First Forces of Destiny, which stands out to you or, or was something you particularly loved working on? Oh my goodness. There's so many. Um, there's an episode that I, sort of stands out in my mind in Galaxy of Adventures. I think it was, I'm doing the the title by memory, but I think it's Luke versus the Death Star. Right. And it stands out to me because I was able to approach it in a a way that was a little different than how the music was treated in the original film. And I was able to quote the Force theme 
at a time, you know, when Luke is attacking. And it was an idea that, that we chatted about, you know, amongst the filmmakers. And I just love the way it kind of came out, mostly just because it was sort of a rethink of, of that moment of how it was treated in the original film. So that's one scene that, that sort of comes to mind. But there's so many. I know there's there's another, I don't remember the, the title, but there was an episode within Galaxy of Adventures that almost is like an episode that is propaganda for the stormtroopers. And it's just cool. You know, it, it's like, it's just a whole different sort of approach to something we haven't seen, you know, from, from the films. That's really interesting. Are you going to be doing more stuff with the, uh, in the Star Wars universe? Do you know, or do you, would you be allowed to tell me if you were? <laughs> the other thing? A lot of things are, are, are kept under wraps, you know, until they're, they're announced. So even if I have something, I would not be able to talk about it, but right. I will say that I absolutely love working with Lucasfilm. I love working with all my friends there and anything that they would want me to be a part of I would love to be a part of in any way at all yeah that'd be awesome um, a few of the projects you've been working on recently, uh, there's the VR film Cave, which is premiering kind of any moment now, actually, at Tribeca Film Festival, I guess, which is what they're calling a shared immersive experience. So the entire audience is in VR, yes. which is a really interesting idea. So how did you get involved with that? And what's your sort of approach for dealing with music within VR? I've been fortunate to be working in VR now for uh, a handful of years. Cave marks my fourth VR film. It's incredibly inspiring to work within VR. And there's a lot of really creative work that's being done. So Cave has a really cool approach to it, as you mentioned, where it's designed so that multiple audience members are able to wear a headset at the same time. Everyone who is in the audience who's watching appears within the film as as an avatar. So you can sort of see a representation of everyone who is there and we can all have this shared experience of watching a story together. Cave particularly is about a story from very, very long time ago where there is a young woman who is sort of hearkening these spirits in order to be a shaman to her people. And uh, it's a really beautiful story. I was able to sort of do a lot of research with Scandinavian music. We, we decided to look at, at folk melodies from back then. The score is sort of a hybrid between orchestral and traditional Scandinavian folk melodies. Oh, interesting. Did you acquire any interesting new instruments to uh, work on that project? Yeah, yeah. There, there were some sort of indigenous flute sounds that I was using Using some percussion. I sort of wove it all into the score. So it's it's this blend between, you know, traditional Western music and, you know, heritage type music. So yeah, it, it was most, I would say most of the instruments that I included were, were like blown instruments, you know, like flutes and things and hand percussion. That sounds really interesting. Hopefully we'll get to see that at some point. That, that could be quite a, a good one. Even as a solo experience, I guess that could be uh, quite an interesting one to watch. Absolutely. There was one other thing that she worked on which I, I just wanted to talk to you about because I, I thought this must have been terrifying to do uh, the the 87th Academy Awards you were <laughs> you were kind of involved in that on arranging and orchestrating and composing on that working with a whole bunch of different people that's got to be high pressure because if you screw that up you're doing it in front of like every single Alestata and all your peers so <laughs> <laughs> yes I noticed that uh, when, I worked, when I was working on it um, wow 
what an incredible experience it was to work on the Oscars. I should start by giving huge thanks to my friend Stephen Oremus, who was the music director that year. Yeah. And Stephen reached out and in, you know, invited me to, to, to be his assistant music director. And what an incredible experience. You're correct. There was a lot of pressure. It's a massive amount of moving parts in a relatively short amount of time. And just the, the, the names of the people who come through or are part of the discussions, you know, like Lady Gaga and John Legend and Common and Tim McGraw and Adam Levine, Jennifer Hudson. I couldn't believe it. I mean, at any given moment, like <laughs> the next, the next legend walks in the door and is warming up or, or, you know, we're concentrating on, on their performance. It's an experience I'll, I'll never forget. And I also have to give massive props to the L.A. musicians who are out here who play on all the scores and TV shows and projects to work with them on the Oscars is nothing short of astounding what they are capable of doing. There is just a massive amount of music that the orchestra is, is tasked to play, whether it's quoting, you know, themes from from all the various nominated projects to play on music to bump outs to commercials, rejoins from commercials, the in memoriam, the special music material for all of the songs, you know, all the song performances, the opening number, you know, there's just so many music needs throughout the evening. Yeah. And these musicians can change styles at the drop of the hat. It's, it's like turning the knob on a radio to a different station. <laughs> And it just changes stations and you're immediately into like this new style of music and it's flawless. Yeah. And that's what they're capable of doing. It's really astounding, incredibly challenging music that sometimes we would only get a chance to play once or twice. It would sound perfect the first time. It's an amazing thing to view and to hear. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, they're great, amazing bunch of people to work with, I'm sure. And and uh, yeah, just phenomenal names. It's something to experience again sometime, maybe, <laughs> when you've got over the first, doing it the first time. <laughs> it's incredible. I would love to, to be a part of it in the future. I actually did have a chance to work on the Oscars the following year. So I've, I've worked on it two years in a row. And that was because Lady Gaga, the first year she was performing a performance from The Sound of Music. Right. Um, and she'd also, done a song with Diane Warren called Till It Happens to You. So I had a chance to work with, with Gaga twice that year. But then the following year, that song, Till It Happens to You, was nominated for an Oscar. Oh, wow. And so Lady Gaga came back to perform for the second year. And since I had uh, worked on that song, I was able to come back to, to work on it again. But yeah, if there were more opportunities to work on the Oscars, I would love to do it. It's an incredible experience awesome awesome so uh just going to throw in the last two questions which we always ask people when they come on so the first one is what tv shows are you watching at the moment oh my goodness that's a good question because we watch a lot of television <laughs> like every night you know we're on netflix and hulu and prime and uh, I think, oh, we've been watching a lot of Grey's Anatomy recently. Oh, cool. Yeah. I think that's what we've been been watching. Um, but we watch a lot of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Broad City, Sarah Silverman, Amy Schumer. You know, we've been watching uh, a lot of comedy specials. Sometimes I watch Bob Ross, um, who is <laughs> great with his painting. Yeah. Um, very relaxing. <laughs> yeah. We watch a lot of programs about space. I've watched The Cosmos. Oh, uh, that's with Neil great. Tyson, yeah. probably 10 times through that entire series. Wow. It's a great series. Uh, oh, my God. And Alan Silvestri's music is brilliant. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's an yeah. amazing series. That. And lastly, if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, past, present, or future, not one you've already worked on, which show would it be? Oh, there are some TV shows that I've kind of been following that that are going to be coming up. I'm hesitant to mention them because uh, there are a few that I'm really interested in. So I, I want to be mindful about yeah. you know how I campaign for them. <laughs> uh, one thing I will say is that I love working within different genres. Um, and that's something that, that I've been fortunate to do throughout my career. So they span a lot of different styles. You know, some that I'm interested in are, are quite epic and large, and some are for general audiences and there's, you know, animation and things. So that's something I've always enjoyed is keeping a really good variety of projects. And, and so when I'm thinking about projects that are coming up, that's often what I'm thinking about too, is, you know, how to keep things musically interesting and work on different types of things. Cool. Well, thank you for spending a bit of time to talk through your uh, stuff. It's been lovely to have you on. I'm going to go and uh, watch a few more of the uh, Star Wars animated things on uh, on YouTube, the uh, Forces of Destiny and Galaxy of Adventures. <laughs> go watch a few more of those. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dave, for having me on the program. It's really a pleasure. It's been lovely to have you. Hopefully we'll, we'll talk again soon when you've uh, got forward- some new stuff coming out. Awesome. I look forward to it. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye. So that was the interview with Ryan Shaw, the composer of the various Star Wars animated shorts and stuff. As I said, you can find Star Wars Galaxy of Adventures and Forces of Destiny and the Adventures Fun Facts. All of that stuff is on YouTube, so you can go and look it up on there. Just Google it. You'll find it. Next up, we have some highlights for next week on TV. So only a few highlights for next week. We have Bloom, which is the show we were talking about last week. It's coming to My5, which is the Five streaming service. It's an Australian drama which centres on life in an idyllic country town a year after a devastating flood kills five locals and a mysterious new plant is discovered with the ability to restore youth. No idea whether it's any good or not. I think it's got a couple of seasons though, but uh, worth going to look at. That's coming to My5. It's called Bloom. That's on the first of may you can find that dead to me the first season of that that's coming to netflix on the third of may this is a dark comedy starring christina applegate about a powerful friendship that blossoms between a tightly wounded widow and a free spirit with a shocking secret there's a trailer up on the website for this if you go and search for dead to me looks really interesting but it's christina applegate returning to sort of comedy although it's much darker than that by the looks of things also on netflix we have i zombie that is returning for its fifth and final season brilliant brilliant zombie dramedy series i'm really looking forward to see how that finishes third of may for that on netflix and uh, again that's another show that matt covers over on entertainment talk so you can go and uh, listen to him broadcast about that speechless third season of that which is following pretty much directly on from the second season that's mm-hmm. coming to e4 on the 6th of may at 7 30 uh hilarious that comedy well well worth going to see really good yeah i'm enjoying yeah. that i'm watching season two at the moment so yeah. really- that, so. really funny uh, mini driver as uh, the mother of three kids the the eldest of whom has cerebral palsy and uh, it, it's just hilarious really really brilliant I love that show and Chernobyl that is a mini season coming to Sky Atlantic which I, I you can't fail to have seen if you've seen, looked at Sky Atlantic they're trailing it everywhere uh, 7th of May at 10pm for that five part mini series about the Chernobyl disaster Jared Harris Stellan Skarsgård Emily Watson, uh, Jesse Buckley, a 
whole bunch of other really high profile names starring in that looks like it could be really good and very interesting so uh, Chernobyl 7th of May at 10pm for that excellent that's everything we have for this week unless you've got anything else you would like to mention no no um, come on over follow me on Twitter at Graver Geek um, if you are downloading listen to this on Tuesday 30th of April wish me a happy birthday yes and, uh, happy birthday ga- thank you and carry on the Avengers chat if you want to chat anymore we are about to go into the long summer so I look forward to catching up with everybody next time on the podcast and see where our summer has got us yes. um, as I lead into one of the tough terms as for us teachers where we have to get all the exams done and things like that so yes uh, for us you can find us on the website at geektown.co.uk throughout the week keep on checking the website especially at the moment there is a lot of news going up we're about to hit a major major point in US TV where all the renewals and all the cancellations come in over the next couple of weeks so there is a lot of news going up daily that's at geektown.co.uk so go and check that out if you want to get in touch with the podcast with questions and comments email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk leave a message on the website post find us at geektown on twitter on facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on youtube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on instagram at geektown uk that is everything we shall see you next week bye 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 A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.